We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your true faith in the United podcast, a hastily arranged podcast, Alex Hurst, Michael Martin, and Yusuf Hatton to talk about, in particular, breaking news today. The Newcastle United takeover rumbles on into its 14th month, possibly more if you go back to 2017, the same people trying to buy the club, and you've got Mike Ashley or Newcastle United, better known as St. James's Holdings Limited, taking the Premier League to a competition appeal tribunal. Uh, and lots of questions, lots of fans, lots of hope. We thought we'd get Yusuf's uh, professional opinion uh, and as a Newcastle United fan's opinion on on what is actually going on. Yusuf, thanks for joining me, mate. What do you make of it all? Uh, thanks for having me on, Alex and Mick. Um, the first thing just to say is this has absolutely nothing to do with the takeover. This is to do with one man, and that man is Mike Ashley. Um, I know that, you know, understandably... Some people, uh, you know, there's a if there's you know something to latch on to that suggests the takeover is moving in one direction or the other, people do tend to latch on to that, and that's only natural. But this doesn't move the takeover one drop forward whatsoever. So, in a nutshell, um, the first question that people might have is, you know, what is this? Why is this even allowed? We have an arbitration going on. Why do we now have this new competition action? And the simple answer to that is that the claimant is different. So in the arbitration, you have the club, Newcastle United, disputing with the Premier League. Now, this action is between St. James's Holdings, which is Mike Ashley's company that actually owns the shares in Newcastle. They're making a claim against the Premier League. Now, that is a relevant, a relevant distinction because if Newcastle had tried to bring an appeal, sorry, um, a claim, in the competition's appeal tribunal. The Premier League would argue that that's you know, abusive. You can't do that because there's already an arbitration going on and that is the proper forum to resolve issues between the club and the Premier League. Um, so that would probably have been thrown out or at the very least put on hold or known as a stay until the arbitration concluded. So we have a different claimant and we also have a different claim. They arise out of essentially the same facts but there's a further step in this new action so in the arbitration by way of reminder the club is arguing that the premier league misapplied its own 
owners and directors test. Now, in this new claim, St James's Holdings, Ashley's company, is arguing that firstly the Premier League misapplied its own owners and directors test and that this constituted a breach of competition law because the Premier League abused, essentially abused its powerful position in the market. It's quite important to note that essentially there isn't really an, out, an outcome where this claim could succeed but the arbitration could fail because this essentially involves proving two things, one of which is exactly the same thing that needs to be proven in the arbitration. So that is the simple explanation as to why this doesn't move the takeover one step forward at all. It's simply a much harder action to bring because it involves exactly what needs to be shown in the arbitration and then some on top. Now, putting that to one side for a moment um, and just getting to what is actually said in the claim or the notice of claim that's publicly available. Some of it's quite incendiary stuff. The words that are actually used um, are that the defendant, so in this case the Premier League, has a special responsibility not to exercise its powers for an ulterior commercial motive, that the Premier League failed to apply the rules in a fair, objective and non-discriminatory manner, and that the Premier League used its powers for the improper purpose of promoting its own commercial interests and or the interests of its business associates and or certain Premier League clubs. Now that's not my words, that's come straight out of the claim document that's public. That is going a, an awful lot further than simply saying the Premier League got its decision wrong. It's quite inflammatory stuff actually. Now I'm not going to give a view on whether it's correct or not, people have their own fairly entrenched views on that one way or the other and merely by virtue of being a lawyer my views on that are not worth any more than anybody else's because we're all speculating as to what the truth is eventually it, it, it might out but the point to be made is this is a far more outlandish set of claims than anything that the club is putting forward in the arbitration and the club already in my view at least has quite an uphill battle there so this this hill is even steeper Essentially, what Mike Ashley is saying, and it is Mike Ashley because he is the 100% owner of St. James's Holdings, it is simply, it is him. He's essentially saying that there was a conspiracy. He's saying there was something fishy about the Premier League's decision. He's essentially saying the Premier League was dishonest. By mentioning the Premier League's own commercial interests and the interests of its business associates and clubs, He's inviting the suggestion that the Premier League is in cahoots with, for example, its broadcast partners, be in sports, Qatar, and potentially with other clubs, whether it be, you know, the big six, I hate that term for obvious reasons now, but whether it's them um, or whether it's just the other clubs at large who don't really want, you know, a competitive Newcastle United being a force to be reckoned with in the league. Now, there are plenty of people among the fan base who believe that that is true. I can't disprove that because the nature of conspiracy is you can't, you can't disprove it. But the, the point that I think is important to bear in mind, just coming back to what I was saying at the start, is whether or not, that, that, whether or not that's true, 
it's way, way harder to prove than simply the Premier League got it wrong. Nobody needs to show that the Premier League is corrupt. Nobody needs to show that the Premier League is a cartel. Nobody needs to show that the Premier League is an absolute disgrace in order for the takeover to go through. So, to, to go back to the beginning, this doesn't. This is nothing to do with the takeover whatsoever. And to come to what is actually being claimed at, at the end of the, the document, um, it lists things that St. James is holding are seeking by way of remedy. The main one is damages, in other words, money. Mike Ashley is looking for compensation for the money he would have made had he sold the club. He's not looking for an order that the club is sold. So it's really about money, because if it was about actually getting the takeover over the line, as mentioned, this is not, this is not the way to do it. Um, the arbitration is already ongoing, and even the arbitration does not automatically result in the takeover going ahead just in, in case it goes in the club's way. So it does beg the question, you know, why has this claim been brought? And as I said at the start, this is all about Mike Ashley. And where Mike Ashley's concerned, it's usually about money. Um, unlike the arbitration... This is not binary. So the arbitration, there's only really two possible outcomes. Either the Premier League's decision is upheld or it's ruled to have you know, misapplied its own rules. Here, because it's a claim for essentially money, there is, there is the potential for a settlement. There is a middle ground. And it is possible that Mike Ashley could reach a resolution with the Premier League for a financial sum, even in the millions, even though, in my view, this is quite a wild and outlandish claim. Defendants do pay money to get rid of hassle and litigation. And here, you can see there could be a lot of hassle. Unlike the arbitration, this is public. This is a public document. And Ashley, therefore, can comment on it in a way that he can't with the arbitration. He can make life very difficult for the Premier League, both in the course of the proceedings themselves and also through the media, PR and everything outside of it. And if Ashley gets anything out of this, even if it's a resolution with the Premier League where he gets some money, but without the Premier League admitting they did anything wrong, he'll still see that as a win. We have an owner who pursues petty personal vendettas. It's been the way he's run the club since even before he acquired it. And this, to my mind, is just another petty personal vendetta. It's all about him. It's not about Newcastle United. And it's not about the takeover. So, <laughs> um, you know, as Newcastle fans, I mean, as a, as a lawyer and a Newcastle fan, obviously, when this came in, I was all eyes on it and wanted to look at it quite a lot. But really, as fans, this has very little to do with our club. This is about our owner and, you know, his many millions of wealth and just pursuing a vendetta. And, you know, although I'm happy to talk about it for a bit longer, as fans, we're probably best off averting our gaze and looking elsewhere. Well said, mate. That was uh, very articulate and very interesting. Mick, what, what are your what are your thoughts on, on all of this? Well, I think Yusuf gives a lot of clarity, doesn't he, um, about what the situation's about and, you know, draws the distinctions between the arbitration, which is in Newcastle United's name, and the, um, 
this latest litigation, which is in the name of St James's Holdings. That's it. I think that's an important distinction to make. Um, I must confess, when I first saw uh, what was happening today, and, and I'm not legally qualified in any way, so obviously I defer to those people who are. Um, but what I what I saw today was this perhaps being a, a, a piece of theatre on Ashley's behalf, um, so that he he kind of um, he raises the temperature with the Premier League at the outside of the arbitration um and um and puts maybe i don't know maybe maybe it's designed to put additional pressure on the premier league at the outset of the arbitration and then secondly as as yusuf has alluded to we know the arbitration will be held in confidence so that you know what 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 is discussed within the arbitration and you know the exchange of in, uh, documents and all that kind of stuff We'll never ever say that because that's going to be held in private. Um, this challenge within the under competition law uh, may well be heard in private. So there's the opportunity for Ashley to embarrass the Premier League if he if he believes that there is um, substance there for him to be able to do that. That's my take on it. But I, I, I must confess, I did laugh when I saw um, Ashley's reference to dark forces. I think the three of us who followed Newcastle over Ashley's tenure will say he is the dark force um, at Newcastle United and, and nothing changes. Uh, and, of, and of course, you know, this is about how Mike Ashley can maybe get something from a situation that seems to be moving away from him. Someone's just tweeted me. Uh, saying, can we as fans file an anti-competition lawsuit against Mike Ashley for the past 14 <laughs> years? Because we've been pretty uncompetitive in that period. Um, yeah, Yusuf, as you can imagine, and Mick's just touched on it there, that, that there is this kind of thought process which is that, and, and I don't mind saying it, it's it's pressure, this idea of if they put enough, enough pressure on the Premier League, the Premier League will fold. And there are people who think that this is like Mitz alluded to, uh, you know, I heard all sorts of theories about arbitration that it wasn't necessarily about the result, it was about the pressure. And then this now one theory is that, well, it's because it's a, because it's a public case and, and like you said, Ashley can comment on it, it's going to put the Premier League under a lot of pressure. Um, do you think the Premier League are feeling the pressure? I mean, it, it's a pretty unprecedented situation, though they've got Man City taking legal action against them as well. Man, for totally different reasons, Man City once again trying to kick off that they, they can't spend their billions on on, on, on players or whatever. Uh, and it's kind of anti... Um, I forget the term. FFP, is it? Financial fair play. Do, do you think the Premier League are, are under a lot, of, a lot of pressure with this? Or, or for an organisation like this, will it be water off a duck's back to their legal team? I think um, the, the the point about pressure. Um, quite often, people do bring litigation in order to apply commercial pressure. So that that's it's you know it's not an unreasonable point of view at all. The only thing I would say is the arbitration is binary. There are only two possible outcomes: either the Premier League is found to have acted reasonably, or it's found to have misapplied its own rules. There is no there is no middle ground. Often you you would you would apply pressure in a legal or commercial situation so that you can you know reach a resolution reach 
a settlement, a negotiated settlement of, of something else. I don't see any middle ground or negotiated settlement of the arbitration that exists. Either they win or we win. It's, 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 it's black and white. It literally is black and white. So I'm not sure about the pressure point and how it applies here. Um, but a couple of points on that. Firstly, he can apply pressure within the competition matter to get a resolution and settlement of the competition matter. That's something he can definitely do. But that's, you know, of absolutely no relevance to us as Newcastle fans. And Seth, could, I, could I ask about um, the link between this competition challenge and the arbitration? So is it feasible that... Um, the Premier League, knowing that this will be held in public and there will be, obviously, there potentially could be some embarrassing disclosures um, against them, that is somehow um, withdraw their involvement in the arbitration and accept that the takeover can go through, that they wouldn't block it. But could, could, it, could it be used in that way? It could. I think it's. I think that's personally a very, very long shot. Partly because of the very wild accusations that are being levelled. Um, I do think they're quite inflammatory. Um, my view is not worth any more than anyone else's as to whether what's being alleged against the Premier League is right or not. But I just think that they're so inflammatory, the accusations, that they're better seen as an expression of Mike Ashley. And if he's trying to apply pressure, rather than it being applied on the Premier League, who, as you say, you know, it may be water off a duck's back. They have very experienced legal teams. And it is, you know, for, for large organisations, they can't afford to be seen to just be treating wild claims seriously. You know, it sets a dangerous precedent that any anyone can just make an outlandish, baseless claim against them and expect to win. It, 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 the Premier League has skin in the game and the Premier League has a crap legal team. So do Newcastle United, but the Premier League, it will be water off a duck's back. So as far as pressure is concerned, I think Ashley is trying to apply pressure, but possibly on the fans, possibly on the community to actually see him as not being the bad guy here. He has been the bad guy in Newcastle United for far, far too long. And he's trying to get himself in credit with a section of the fan base. And my fear is that he's actually succeeding in doing it. Ben Jacobs, who True Faith's never spoken to, but is a well-known face on social media, well-known. I mean, some people hate him, some people love him. I'm sure he's a, a nice bloke. He, he tweeted, it seems a little counterproductive for Mike Ashley to file an anti-competition lawsuit with arbitration still ongoing. Arbitration is about a pathway to acquisition, like you've said, Yusuf. Uh, a damages case is a defeatist move from an owner fighting for a compensation, not a sale. He continues, the key line in, in the anti-competition suit reads, Ashley has lost the immediate sale or lost the likely opportunity of an immediate sale of its shares to the consortium. Uh, that was Jacobs quoting it. He then says, this isn't accurate if arbitration is ongoing. And NUFC had the most significant delay by challenging one of the judges. Um, thoughts on that, Yusuf? Would you broadly agree? I mean, there's a very unpopular opinion Ben has put forward there in the world in Newcastle United Twitter. I broadly agree. I mean, I, it, the claim is for damages. It's expressed to be that. So whether it's defeatist or not, um, 
you know, it, it's perfectly fine for Ashley to have issued this claim in the background, you know, essentially because he would like to get damages even if the takeover doesn't go ahead. Now, as I think we all recognise in the background, at least I think most of us realise that, yes, the arbitration is part of the pathway to acquisition, but it doesn't automatically result in it. There is a possible outcome where Newcastle win the arbitration, but, you know, the, the buyers have, have moved on. Now, in that scenario, um, it probably would be quite helpful for Ashley to have a finding that he's essentially right and to actually get something as a result of it. So this could potentially be seen as going along with that potential outcome in the arbitration, which is, I think, is quite a plausible one. Fair enough. Make anything to add on that? No, I think it's a, I think it's a good point Yusef makes. Um, I, I, I do have some sympathy that there, that there are forces who want to stop the takeover. Um, uh, and I think, you know, we've seen um, things that have come from BNQ, um, uh, BN Sports rather, um, who've obviously uh, moved to, to, to do their best to, to block everything as far as they can. And, you know, we saw things in the Operation Big Picture from, from six clubs, two clubs in particular, who... Um, wanted to put themselves in a position where they had the power to block takeovers of, of other clubs. So I think there is an atmosphere in which what Ashley has said today um, is believable by some people. I'm not sure if it is or it, or it isn't. Um, I have some empathy for that for that perspective, though. Um, I do think the Premier League is a closed shop in some regards, um, but whether or not that translates into what the Premier League have attempted to do that's a matter of opinion. We've heard bits and pieces about certain people being motivated against it in that way, blah blah blah. But nothing substantial, nothing that we would, you know, that we'd die on a hill for. I mean, from my point of view, it's just when that first statement came out, just before the West Ham game at the start of the season, what was it, middle of September? This is exactly what I feared that. We've gone from Ashley one day saying that you would know about a takeover, you know, if it happened, you'd wake up, you went on Sky News and said it, and there's probably a load of stuff that's happened on this occasion, which is not his fault. You'd say it's definitely not his fault what happened with the Premier League, so maybe that mitigates it somewhat, but it, this has just become the never-ending story. Ashley, who will say nothing about anything to do with what's going on at the football club, releases statements constantly. You know, he said today that um, I'm, this, I'm pleased that the HMRC criminal investigation has been discontinued after four years of uh, investigation into the club. Uh, it is now time for the dark forces that prevent the football club from becoming the powerhouse that the fans deserve to step aside. I've written several times this season and podcasted as well that, like Yusuf, you said, mate, there are more and more people who are basically looking at the current state of Newcastle United, which is in some state, by the way, um, and disassociating Mike Ashley from it, for him to come out and say that there are dark forces stopping the, stopping the club from being the powerhouse it should be, probably one of the most insulting things he's ever said. And he said a few bad things as owner of this football club. And it just, if there was ever that feeling, Mick, I'll get your take on this, that Ashley literally didn't give a fuck about what was going on at the club. Um, 
I think this pretty much confirms it. You know, I get the feeling that 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 Steve Bruce tells the truth, that he has been told keep this club in the Premier League. Anything else is immaterial. Anything at all. I don't, I don't think. I don't think um, Ashley takes the club seriously. Really, I don't think he takes the people that support the club seriously. The people that work for it seriously. I just don't think he gives a toss. Um, he does want to sell it. I'm pretty convinced he does want to sell it. Um, but you know, we're 14 years in, and I think after 12, after you know, after the first couple of years, he was saying he wants to to sell it. And here we are, 14 years later, and he's never managed to achieve that. So, I think you've made the point previously, Alex, that if this deal had gone through, it would have been the more the biggest ever deal in football because of how it was structured. It would have been cash on the table. Thanks very much. And I have my football club now. Yes, on your off your trot. So that's never ever happened before. And I just wonder how serious and what confidence there has been previously about selling the football club because other clubs have been sold and changed hands, etc. You know, I think of Southampton, Everton, um, Arsenal, etc., um, etc. Et They've all changed hands in some way, um, but Newcastle hasn't. And you know, Ashley's the common denominator throughout throughout those years. But I mean, I do think it's laughable that some supporters are saying this guy is some kind of, you know, white knight in white in shining armor who's going to fucking try and save Newcastle United and give us, a, you know, fulfil all of our dreams. I mean, that is just real fantasy island stuff, and I think he's taking the piss. Totally agree. Yusuf, your thoughts on, on Ashley at the minute? Yeah, I'm totally with Mick. I think Ashley, he's been taking the piss for a long time. If we think it's about, you know, staying 17th and staying on the Premier League gravy train, I think we're actually giving him too much credit. He bought the club for a personal vendetta with Dave Whelan. He ran it for the first few years like a stag dude gone wrong with all of his mates. You know, then he stumbled upon a way that managed to get him some money which was just about to stay up and you know the way that he's just run the thing the, the way the football and commercial decisions that he's made just smell of somebody who really just wakes up in the morning without a care in the world for what he's going to do with his day or how it's going to impact Newcastle United and the fan base so the sooner we're shot of him for somebody who has some kind of vision of some nature the better because I think he's been taking us all for a ride and just quite, uh, you know, the idea that people are supportive of what he's trying to do in the context of, you know, the takeover, the arbitration, this latest palaver, you know, we, we, we do well to remember the way that he's frankly just insulted us and all of our intelligence for the last 15 years. Very true. Um, I think we'll, we'll move on now from ridiculous news today. I mean, it's just it's just an absolute car crash of a football club. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's never ending. And I get, I get a lot of people listening to this or a lot of people watching this might be dead excited and enthused by it. Then that's fair enough. There's nothing wrong with being so desperate for the end of Mike Ashley and the potential that the club could be run out under new ownership that to, to get to get excited. But what, what we literally watched at the weekend, for those of us that did watch it, the amount of people I know who aren't, even bothering to turn into games these days, like watch them on TV, is it's 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 probably never been seen before in in the Premier League. Like a, a club like Newcastle United of this size, to just roll over and die and have their 
that he tickled in games and the manager to come out afterwards smiling all, all smiles because we only got beat 2-0. I'm absolutely convinced that if if this takeover doesn't go through, we are fucked. We're going down next season. I mean, you've seen the regression this season. The club sits 17th. Um, how far will it fall next season? You, you, you could see the club with a, you know, a Norwich City, Sheffield United style implosion. And I mean, use the final question on this, and I suppose... Do you think Ashley's actions today are the actions of a desperate man or the actions of a man who uh, is, well, you call it taking the piss out to see what he can get? He's a gambler. Corp's a gamble. That's it. I mean, he just, it's a bit of a laugh, isn't it? The whole, the whole thing for him is just a great big laugh. <laughs> this, this is just the latest one. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. We'll, we'll move on. Um me and Mick, we're going to get together for a patron show uh, about fan action and about the the scenes at Manchester United at the weekend, which, I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way, Mick, just to start it off, and we will get into how the media portray things, but I think there was more outrage in the media when Alan Pardew headbutted David Mailer than there was this weekend about the match being called off. And I'm not saying I was outraged or upset by it whatsoever. I'm just saying it's, it's funny, isn't it? And a lot of Newcastle fans get very hung up on the kind of hypocrisy of how things are covered, or maybe rightly so. Mate, what, what are your what are your initial thoughts then about Man United fans? And it wasn't just at the stadium, by the way. They had organised group making sure that the Manchester United team could not leave that team hotel. There was no violence there, no punch-ups, no flare-ups. They just organised plan, organised people. This team are not leaving the team hotel in this, until this game is called off. What are your thoughts, mate? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because... Um, you can look at this through different lenses, um, and yeah, and one of them, which is they're all equally legitimate. Um, you know, I, I kind of favour one over the other, to be honest. But uh, on the on the face of it, um, you look at Man United's investment in players over the last number of years, um, and it's second only to Man City. Um, and you know, Man City are. You know, financially doped football club on like like Chelsea and PSG and, and one or two others. Um, and you look at you look at that and you look at um, how they have invested in blue chip managers, so to speak. You know, well, you know, they went for David Moyes on Ferguson's recommendation, and he was replaced by Van Hal and then Mourinho, and then they've gone kind of a bit old school with uh, Solskjaer. Um, so it wouldn't have been cheap to dispense with with those with those people. Um, so on the face of it, a second in the Premier League behind a, you know probably you know the best team. Well, they are the best team in the in the country and potentially the best team in Europe. Um, and um, and they're in the semi final of the Europa League, aren't they? So like on the face of it, it's kind of you can look. You know, we would look at each other and think. What they're complaining about, you know. Okay, you haven't won the league, but that's not due to any lack of ambition. Um, Man United want to win the league. That's where they are. That's what. That's where that club is, is is built around. But then you've got to look under the bonnet, haven't you? In terms of how Man United are run, so the the Glaziers, um, they were resisted in 2006 because of how they wanted to structure that deal. Um, and they've used Man United's own money to buy the deal. So it's a leveraged takeover. 
um, the Glazers have taken tens of millions of pounds out of Man United um, and, and kept it for themselves. And they've also paid staggering, eye-watering amounts of money in interest payments on the debt. Uh, and you might think, well, that's all right. That's just a business side of things. Why, why, why would supporters be bothered about that? But what it does is it creates a dynamic within that football club. And let's be honest, it's one of the biggest in the world. So where it goes, many follow. And it, it, it represents a cultural change in football, I think. Um, and what they've done is to, to be able to be in the position where they're still competitive and they're still be able to invest you know, the massive sums of money that they're doing in, in, in players is to embark upon a new kind of frontier in football, which is so commercialised, it's unbelievable. So as a result of that, the whole character of that club has changed. And we do take the piss out of them of being a tourist club, etc., etc. But at heart, that is an institution of Manchester and, and the North West. Let's not be silly about that. We know it is. Um, so as a consequence of that, it becomes more and more divorced from its roots in North Manchester and Salford, etc. And it becomes a global sporting behemoth um, of which it moves away from, from its core kind of purpose, which is to um, provide football entertainment and a team for uh, for Manchester and um, and let's be honest, our football clubs carry the names of towns and cities for a reason, don't they? Let's let's not get away from that. So I look at that and I think, yes, I can understand what if I was a, a committed Man United fan in the same way that we're all committed Newcastle fans, we'd look under the bonnet and we would spot the same things. So that it, it, what it does is represents a massive cultural change in ter in terms of how football is being delivered in Manchester and the impact that has on the Premier League and the dynamic that it creates within that club commercially to do things like throw the lot in with the Euro this Super League idea, which is, you know, where their interests collide with, uh, with similar ones in Liverpool, Real Madrid, etc., etc., who are all hideously in debt because the model that they um, run is unsustainable within football. They're, they're, they're fraudulent football clubs. The big football clubs are, are not immune from financial realities, or they can't be. Even Real Madrid, who seems to get funny money from the Spanish government every now and again. But that's why I think Man United fans are justified in how they're challenging the running of the club, and good luck to them in that regard. On the, the other lens, of course, and I might be giving Man United, the Man United fans who protested on Sunday too much credit. I don't think I am, but I might, I might be. And I don't think we can ignore how galling it would be if you've been a Man United fan all of your life and you've experienced the last 30 years of Alex Ferguson being at that football club and the succession of 13 Premier League titles, well, and all of the trophies that they've won to suddenly be in second best on your own patch. And I don't think you can look beyond, in some regards, how Man City's, you know, how they've surged to the top of football 
um, has pissed them off, to be honest, because they are now no longer the big deal in Manchester, are they? That's on the on the south on the southern side of the city or the east side of the city in Manchester, where Pep Guardiola is building the dynasty there, and they are the best team in the country to watch right now, aren't they? And they probably have been for the last number of years. Um, they're a fantastic football team to watch. You know, we can talk about how they're structured and what's driving it, etc. Um, and I disagree with all of that, despite supporting the Saudi takeover because I'm a hypocrite. Um, but on the on the flip side of it, you've got Man City, who are a musical joke 30 years ago, regularly. I mean, it would have been horrific to have been a Man City fan at the at the height of their of Man United success. So to have the tables turned, and they're not turned that much, Man United are still going to win trophies, aren't they? But um, they're, no longer, they're no longer the top dogs. And I would say Man City fans are probably looking down their nose at Man United now, because they're some distance away from them, really, in reality. So I think, you know, yeah, that can't be put to one side in terms of the anger that might be driving Man United fans at the, at the moment. But uh, overall, I think the Super League, as, as people have mentioned, people weren't protesting before the Super League at Man United, but they are now. And I think that culture change that the Glazers and John Henry at Liverpool and others have been pushing for is the, is the thing that has got the genie out of the bottle and my view is as good luck to them in reining that in. What do you think, Mick, about the comparisons to us? Comparisons to Newcastle United, you know, there's there's people who looked on disgusted and said getting a game cancelled, a game which people around the world, but in Manchester as well, would have been really looking forward to. Man United had a chance of beating Liverpool, probably for the first time in a long time. Um, people look at, or some Newcastle fans compare them and say, well, why haven't we never done anything like that? You know, the argument that, you know, I, I don't like this argument, Newcastle fans, you touching at the start, say, We'll try and make Ashley's your own, and then we'll show you a bad owner. Because Bolton fans could say that to us, or Bury fans, or Sunderland fans, even even though Sunderland fans didn't, um, they said the opposite. You know, why? Why do you, do you think there's a difference between the two fan bases in terms of how they protest things? Not really. Um, I, I don't think there is a greater level of militancy at Man United compared to Newcastle. Um, I've, I've seen some of the comments about why haven't Newcastle done this, done that, etc., etc. Um, Newcastle fans have done plenty. They've done lots and lots of things on a more um, extended um, basis than than Man United. So, um, what the only difference I would say about our lot is that we're probably not as organised as them. Um, you know, if, if you know, Alex, we've had this conversation before. If one person wants to do something. Um, good and constructive at Newcastle. There's ten Newcastle fans who will come and piss up the leg um, in op- in opposition. So it it it, ha- it have got that di- um, dimension to it. But I think Newcastle fans are probably over ambitious and what they want to achieve through one action. Um, you know, so the constant thing that we see is boycotting matches, etc. It never goes away. That they've never had that discussion at Man United. They've never had walkouts of games that. You know, Newcastle, various Newcastle supporters groups have attempted. Um, you know, the the highly visible um, 
brought us outside Ashley's shops, etc., have been eye-catching for some reason. They're not cool anymore in Twitter world. So you know they are they are criticised in, in that in that regard. But I don't I don't, I don't think Man United have, their fans have done as much as we have. And certainly when we think about their journey in '92, I don't think they've tried anything as big as that. I think that's one of the biggest things that any group of fans has ever done. Um, and I would also say that, yeah, they put on a great show for the cameras on Sunday, and I'm, I'm not belittling what they've done. Um, I'm a supporter of, 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 that, of that fan base behaving as, as, the, as the way they have done. But what has it achieved? Have the Glazers sold up and moved? Have they been taken over by, you know, some benign force who's going to give them everything they want with Jelly on the top, or Jerry's on the top? So, um so yeah, I, I I don't swallow it that Newcastle fans haven't done anything. I think they've done plenty, and they'll continue to do plenty. You know, because of the the likes of the trust, uh, it's maybe not as sexy and people running on the pitch with flares, etc., etc. But um, uh, uh, you know, if if and I've 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 seen some comments from some fans saying, "Why haven't we done this kind of thing in the past?" There's nobody stopping anybody running on the pitch, is there? You know, if you know, there's no there's no fan base that's going to say don't do that, but there is a tendency within social media for some people to give others a shopping list of their whims and ask them to do them. Um, you know, so my view is is that if you want to organise some kind of action like that, crack on. My view is is that I would hope it's not. You know, people don't get injured, and it's it. You know that you know the picture of a police officer who had been hurt. I would hope that's not repeated at Newcastle. Um, you know, nobody would nobody would support that. Um, but you know, I think there's a there's an open door for anyone that wants to organise any protests, etc. So you know, get off social media and do your thing, really. Yeah, well said, Yusuf. You know, you're very critical of what actually is there and the lack of attention to detail. Um, you, you know, the, these guys at the minute are in the spotlight. Three Americans really cronky at Arsenal. The Glazers at Man United and Henry and his pals at Liverpool. Do you think they're cut from the same cloth as Ashley or do you think we're comparing, you know, apples and pears here? That's each, I mean, it's one thing for, I mean, you know, I'd say cronky is a bad owner because look at Arsenal. I mean, the only, the only football club or group of players or manager that treats Arsenal as anything like a serious football club these days is Newcastle United and Steve Bruce. Everyone else just beats them. Um, but, you, you know, they've gone back. They've, they've gone as far backwards as Newcastle have arguably under Cronky's ownership. Um, Mix right about Man United and the Glazers, although this, the failure of the Glazers era to us just seems completely alien. It, it, you know, the, the Glazers have taken out a billion in terms of uh, dividends and, and interest payments on the leverage buyout, and and you know Man United have had it pretty rough by their standards in the past fifteen years. Well, where would they be with an extra billion quid in the club? And it's interesting. This is a long question. Sorry, Yusuf. It's interesting that um, a lot of Man United fans make the same points about Old Trafford that we do about St James's Park. That it looks the same as it did now as it did in two thousand and five. That it hasn't had a lick of paint. That uh, compared to a lot of the stadiums across Europe, which are designed to entice. And make supporters feel comfortable, a bit like Spurs' stadium, that it's still, you know, the structure of it is pretty much what it was in the redevelopment back in the late 80s after Hillsborough and, and the conversion to seats and all that. So, anyway, you said, my question is, are these, you know, 
as football fans, as Newcastle fans, you know, what what is your point of view looking at the actions of Sunday? Do you think you know what fair, fair enough, lads, justified, or do you think spend a day in our shoes and, and, and see what see what it's really like with a shite owner? <laughs> I think um, certainly following Newcastle, I always find that when you know fans of other clubs or the media or the press or whatever comment on Newcastle fans, they invariably get it wrong. So I'm I'm always try to sort of take a pause and take a break before kind of launching in with kind of views on fans of other clubs because I don't like it when people do it to us because they usually haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Um, so generally speaking, if fans are protesting about something, I assume that there's a basis for the protest because otherwise they'd be doing something else. So I'm I'm fully behind um, what the Man United fans have done, what the Arsenal fans have done, the demonstrations Chelsea fans had. And it's not just, um, you know, it's not just, it's obviously become more pronounced over the Super League, but you don't have to go a couple of years back, you know, West Ham fans invaded the pitch. That wasn't to do with a lack of investment in the club. In fact, it was the opposite. If anything, the club was having more money thrown at it and was trying to move objectively up in the world, but not in a way that a lot of the fans wanted. So I think, um, and I think, Alex, you made this point in the podcast um the, the free pod at the back end of last week um, after talking about the Arsenal game. Arsenal, by the way, are about to go out the Europa League in the next five minutes, so uh, <laughs> I didn't think they'd use up that much energy on Sunday, but apparently so. Um, I, you know, if we can get past the kind of parochialism, either saying, oh, well, what have you got to complain about, or why haven't we done this, or I don't agree with the way you've done that, and realise actually there is a common enemy here for football fans. It's, you know, very distant owners who don't have any regard for the traditions of a club and not only that but actually don't have the future best interests of the club in mind either it's not just nostalgia these protests actually fans often have a better finger on the pulse as to where the club's heading going forward than some of these owners do so i'm much more inclined to be sort of supportive of what fans of other clubs are doing at the moment because i see the likes of Cronky, henry ashley i mean I don't know who's better or who's worse. They're all pretty dreadful in different ways. Um, so no, I'm I'm fully behind what's happening on the on the fan front. Um, there are different ways, as as you know. I think you've been saying both of you. You know, there's no just there's no one solution. There's no one size fits all way to take action. For some, it might be direct action. For some, it might be fan ownership. For some, it might be a petition. Whatever it might be, it's definitely good to to get off our backsides and do something and. I think we should support fans of other clubs who are doing like uh, who are doing likewise. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think my point of view is that I mean, there's just so much news at the minute, news about the world, news about football. It's hard to keep it up, but there were, so something has happened. Something, and, and it's like there's always this been this kind of agreement or or perception that it's all right for these blokes to come in and make money. It's okay because. And I suppose I have that view as well, that if someone wants to come into Cast United who is money-hungry, fine. If they want to come in and make money, then the, the, the club has to be good. Ashley's made no money on Newcastle. He will do so, miraculously, purely, as Mick has said many times, purely because of the value of television contracts. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. If Ashley sells Newcastle for £300 million, he's, he's that £300 million is pretty much based on the potential of the club, but also the security that those bumper television contracts provide any new owner. 
Um, but if, if some you know greedy person wants to come in and take thirty million pounds out a year in dividends, well, you can only take money out in dividends if you're making a, a profit, pretty much. Uh, and to make a profit as a football club, you have to be good. And that there's always been that kind of loose understanding that well, we know they're bad blokes and we know they're wankers, but you know we all want the same thing. And I think what the Super League has done has exposed that as a lie. That you know we all don't want the same thing, and that. Now, I said it before, we did, we did a podcast at the time, that a lot of these fans realised that it's not just that the Super League would have just been the start. It would have soon been playing fixtures in Melbourne, home games in Shanghai, and all that kind of... Wherever there was money to be made, they would have gone. Liverpool fans have been quite smart. And, and again, you said you make a really good point about not really understanding fan culture. Like, we as Newcastle fans don't really know what Leeds fans think of their owners because we don't care. Um, and, you know, some people's tweeted me and commented on the YouTube uh, video we did. When we did the ESL thing, Liverpool fans weren't complaining when they won the league last year. Actually, loads of Liverpool fans were complaining about some of the shit um, FSG were up to, you know, trying to trademark the, the word Liverpool so that none of the street vendors around the ground could continue to sell that stuff. Just like a needless, nasty thing to do to some ordinary people who live local to the Anfield area. Um, but what... You know, what this is what this has done is, is kind of proved that the, the game itself is under threat. The game is under threat. The, the foot the term football in England and really Britain, because it is football, you know, English football is football in Britain as much as uh you know, people still get involved in the SPL and uh, you know, old firm games and stuff like that are massive games around the world still. But England you know, English football is, is Britain's biggest product, really. It's its most loved product across the world. And some blokes have come in and tried to steal that. And I, and I look at what Man United fans did at the weekend, and you think, when, when you're up against such an enemy like this, and even the Man United fans, you know, the Man United supporters trust, who, who put the petition out for 50 plus one, got it to 100,000 in a matter of days. And that, that takes some organisation and effort, and I take my hat off to them. They aren't really calling for the sale of the club. They're suggesting it. But the club is so valuable now that <laughs> probably the only people who could buy it are PIF, probably. Do you know what I mean? Because if the Glazers want billions for it, which is, you know, if Newcastle's worth 300 million, what's money worth? It's not even worth thinking about. Um, and I think there is a realisation now that the, that the game is under threat. And I, I wish that fans would concentrate less on what Sky Sports are saying or who Sky Sports are sending out or what Rio Ferdinand are saying because that, that no one gives a fuck about that in the real world. You know, like the Glazers don't care what Rio Ferdinand are saying or Gary Neville. Or anyone like that. FSG are a little bit more in tune to, to what Liverpool fans are saying, and, and if you know, six or seven massive climb downs since they came on, you know, just, just a real litany of failure, really, of things they've tried to do and failed. I mean, even even at Newcastle, you could see I actually tried to change the name of the ground and failed because of the because it was so toxic that no no advertiser was going to come in and change the name of the ground because it just would have been a, a futile and costly mistake. So. It does work. I just hope fans realise that now is the time for change. You've got the government's fan-led review. But what we don't want to do is just let the government speak to one or two key people with their own ideas about how things should go. You know, they, they, might, they might do a lot of things that surround the issue. They might do some great things on women's football. Fantastic. Who could complain? And then point to that afterwards saying, well, we couldn't really sort out the ownership issue, but look at the changes we made to youth football or football pitches up and down the country. Instead of doing both, I think fans have got to wake up to that and, and, and start working together. You know, and working with the supporters' trust, I've tried to work with other supporters' trust. There's a lot of self-interest there. I've tried to get a conversation going with some of the other trusts 
outside of the big six, just a mutual conversation, nothing formal to say, what kind of punishments should the Premier League be pushing on the, the big six for this? Because it's gone quiet, hasn't it? It's gone quiet. It's, something else happens, you know, the news cycle moves on. You know, if, if you look at this time last week in the news media, it was cash for curtains, political sleeves, where's that? That's, that's not a story anymore. Think Things move on, so I thought it was worth getting everyone together and could we agree? A couple of the, those people in those groups who I'm not mentioned said to me when I suggested that the club should be banned from Europe for the next five years, because after all, they didn't planned not to play in European football next season in UEFA competition. That was their plan. Why change the plan? Uh, a couple of them said, are you, are you trying just to get Newcastle through the back door in Europe? And I was just like... No, nah, because, because first of all, it would it would you know Ashley would probably pull it out and protest. He'd probably apply for relegation, not to have to pay the travel fees across Europe. Um, but the, the, there's this kind of self interest thing which these owners really really manage to exploit. And until we get past that and realise that we all want the same thing, what what is the same thing? We want a sustainable football system that enshrines and secures football clubs are safe and. 50 plus one in Germany isn't perfect. There are still clubs in Germany that have financial issues, but they're, they're nowhere near the same level as English clubs. There are hardly any clubs compared to England that, that go properly bust and out of existence, certainly compared to England, Spain and Italy, where it's, 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 a, it's a constant thing. And I just hope that, you know, Man United fans, that's a, that's a big fan statement, whether you agree with it or not, whether you wanted to watch the match, whether you, you would hate it if you were a Newcastle fan and it happened or whatever. That football fans are starting to make a difference. And like you said, Yusuf, Chelsea fans, no one expected Chelsea fans to make a difference. Chelsea fans were the, were the ones, the first domino to fall of that Super League was crucial and Chelsea were the first domino. And that's because Chelsea fans turned them outside that ground and scared the living hell out of that football club thinking, shit, what are we going to do here? And I just, I really hope that people can move beyond the coverage and just concentrate on what's important because... Yeah, I've talked about it already. Newcastle are fucked under Ashley. It's why we launched the player scheme. It's why we launched it because I think if Ashley is the owner long term, we are fucked. You've seen, you look at the club right now. Look at what happened. I'm going to look at how many Newcastle fans do you lads know? Are people watching or listening who aren't going to watch us on Friday night against Leicester City and not going to watch us because because what's the point? A lot of fans feel, you know, we we are we are headed in one direction under Ashley. And we've got to do something to to act to try and make sure the club is safe. Shouldn't be up to us. Shouldn't be up to us. People like Mike Ashley shouldn't be allowed to own a football club by himself. You said you mentioned earlier St James's Holdens, which is Newcastle United, it's explicitly owned by one man, and, and and is the you know it's his plaything really. That has to change. And I think what you saw on Sunday with from the Man United fans, whether you agree with it or not, it was a group of people saying things have to change, and we're going to do something about it. And I'm not saying that anyone should stop games at Newcastle or stand up. I mean, as if. You know, Ashley's going to pay for the team to stay in a hotel in Newcastle. Not going to happen to this. Um, you know, if they want to block off Pontylan Road and Darris Hall or whatever, you know, I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is think, things have got to change and football fans have got to work together. And it was heartening to see football fans do something on all those occasions. And I, and I really hope that you've got, you've got on one hand this takeover, lawyers, Premier League corruption, BN sports stuff, which is just... Which of us watching or listening got involved in football for this shite? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'd be much happier knowing if it was going on behind closed doors and they were working on cracking on fine. But I always question the motivation of people who want to make things like this public and what they have to gain from it. And and you know, we are where we are. Yusuf, you, you, 
summed it up very well. People can form their own conclusions, like you said, but I feel we're at a crucial junction in the game's future, and uh, I don't want to see it wasted. There's a little monologue from me. And well, I think I after 14 years, it's hard not to be cynical about Newcastle, isn't it? So we're, we're right to question the motives of Mike Ashley, and, I, you know, I, I think we've, we've heard, you know, Yusuf elaborate on what you know and his learned opinion what the what this what the uh, potential is um of, of ashley's maneuverings in this in this space and um uh, and let, let's be honest when was the last time he didn't do anything that was um motivated completely through self-interest so that that's what gets him out of bed in the morning isn't it how many how much money you can make for himself he doesn't do anything for for Newcastle United, we've seen figures this week from Swiss Ramble about the amount of money he puts in himself into the club and how much money is spent on the upkeep of the stadium, etc. And it, it confirms everything, you know, that we suspect. But just hopping back to your earlier point, Alex, about um, about about self-interest, etc. You know, I, I've got friends who support Man United and Liverpool, and I and I will say to them. Your club, or your clubs, are the driving forces of everything that's been bad in football over the last thirty years since you made that move to form a breakaway league, the Premier League. You know, let's be honest, the Premier League is a breakaway league from the rest of football. So there wasn't any complaints about that because, generally speaking, Man United in particular have done extraordinarily well out of it, haven't they? You know, so you've got that one. But I would hope that. Um, to go back to your point about self-interest as well, is that there is a, a an enlightenment amongst all supporters that actually well-run clubs aren't always the dominant clubs in the league that win the league all of the time. Because I don't think Man City are a particularly well-run club. If you can throw that amount of money at, at, at something, you'll be successful. Although there is a skill that Man, Man City have got, obviously. Um, but, you know, it helps that they've got more money than anyone else. So, you know, lucky underdogs, Man City, if they win the Champions League, eh? that's a romantic story to keep us warm at, at, at night. But going back to uh, how supporters take things forward, we've got to have that level of enlightenment so that clubs are run properly and for people. And Man United fans, you know, if, if they are throwing their toys out the pram because... They haven't won the league for eight or nine years, then they need to get over themselves because that happens. Clubs rise and fall. They have glorious periods followed by fallow periods. That's that's normal within football. It's abnormal for three or four, five, six clubs to be cemented at the top of the league. And there's a reason why they're there. And it's because they have made the league anti-competitive. Spot on. Yusuf, any last words on this? I'm just wondering who on earth um, thought that the big six leaving would get us into Europe was 17th. <laughs> You'd need the top 12 to leave for us to have an outside shot. You, you forget that. A lot of these fans, kind of, they all think Steve Bruce is doing a great job, so they probably just think we're 12 or 13th to pay very little attention to what goes on at the bottom of the league. It's always Newcastle fans moaning about now, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, lads, really nice to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, it's been Thank a true faith podcast. We'll be back Saturday or Sunday with a, a Leicester debrief. And until then, we'll see you, we'll see you later. Cheers, lads. Ta-da. Cheers. When you make decisions for your company, 
you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.